0: So this reading is from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show, show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, Good evening, everybody. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are new or visitors with us this evening. My name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. I'm very tempted to preach on the verse, the hairs of your head are numbered, which is an easier task for the Lord for some of us than for others, but I'm not going going for that one. Uh, What we're going to look at is right in the heart of this passage where it says, don't be afraid and then fear God. So I want to look at this tension between fearing God but not being afraid of others. So let's pray and we'll pray that the Lord will speak to us. Lord, we all know what it is to be afraid of what others think. We all know what it is to be anxious and concerned. And we all know to a certain extent that you are God and trustworthy, but we could know that better. So we pray, come by your spirit this evening and help me as I uh, speak but will you speak to us through your word supremely and give grace to each of us to learn to trust you more and to live with our eyes on you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me read those central verses again. Uh, it's very good having to go through the whole of Luke and not miss any bits out. I've never preached on this passage before. And um, it just means you can't miss any out. You have to deal with stuff that's, that's not that easy to preach on. Um, There's some tricky bits and some bits that we might forget otherwise. And this whole thing about fearing God is, I think it's something I've only really preached on once before, about five or six years ago, and uh, you don't hear many sermons on it. So here we go. Uh, Let me read to you the middle verses, verses four to seven. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after your body's been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So we get it there twice. Don't be afraid and do fear God. And trying to get that balance right is really, really important. In many ways, the absolute secret to the Christian life. Now, I had a go at this sermon on Wednesday morning at the midweek. Often what happens is we preach on Sunday evening, and then we give highlights to the midweek on a Wednesday. Uh, This way, it was the other way around. So I was preaching on this, I thought, I haven't preached on fearing God for about seven years. I tried to find out where I'd last done that, and I hadn't heard a sermon on it. Uh, And then, together with Andy, I was at New Wine Week the first week, and then we've been back this week. And on Friday morning... Uh, just before I was mowing my lawn, I thought, well, let's see if we can get hold of Simon Ponsonby, who was teaching at New Wine Week B. So I had my coffee and was listening to Simon. What was he preaching about? Fearing the Lord. And he said, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on that. How many of you have heard I thought, well, I preached one on Wednesday. But I hope this will be even better than it was on Wednesday, or much better than it was on Wednesday, having heard a sermon on fearing God on Friday as well. Now, it's often said... That 365 times in the Bible, we're told, don't be afraid. We need to be reminded of that every day, that we don't need to be afraid because God is on our side. Uh, Nobody, as far as I'm aware, has yet counted up or told me how many times it tells us to fear the Lord, but it must be a similar number, two or three hundred times. You get it throughout the Bible, the fear of the Lord is a sort of shorthand for so many. Words, awe, majesty, reverence, love, serving, uh, thanksgiving, appreciation. Just all of that comes together in sort of wholeheartedly having God right at the centre of our lives. In past years, the church in the West was better at a sense of God in his majesty and transcendence, is the technical word, and not so good at the sort of intimacy of God with us. In our generation, we're better at understanding the intimacy of God with us, but we've lost something of the reverence and the majesty and the awe and the fearing God. Uh, There's a danger of almost being too chummy with God. God is intimate with us, but he is still the holy creator of everything, and we need to fear him aright. And somehow to get that balance right is not easy. And I thought the best thing we could do, or that I could think of, was to look at several verses from the, mostly from the Old Testament, but a few from the New, that talk about the fear of the Lord to try and build up a picture. Very hard to precisely say what this is, and this will sort of build up a picture of what we're talking about. Uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It's about twelve, about a dozen verses. I'll try not to spend five minutes on each, or we'll be here a long time. But There we go, we could do a lot worse than marinating. If if you've had enough, do walk out halfway, that's fine. Anyway, we'll start with Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. So this is a a Christmas reading, Um, looking forward to the Messiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So here's the first clue what we're talking about. We're not talking about being afraid. We're talking about delighting in God. There's a reverence, there's a holy fear of God which is delightful. So if it's something that makes us want to turn away from God, we've probably got it wrong. God is the most beautiful, joyful, being, person there could ever be. And as we get into right relationship with him, we'll delight in him more. So the fear of the Lord is to do with delight. And um, we pray an awful lot for the Holy Spirit to come on us. Um, And we need more wisdom and understanding. But we certainly need more fear of the Lord. Uh, Let's go back a bit further. Exodus 20, verse 20. This is just after the Ten Commandments have been given. Moses gives them to the people. And he says, Do not be afraid. Very easy to be afraid. They've had thunder and smoke and lightning on Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and the people have said, uh, you go Moses, we'll keep our distance. (laughs) And Moses says, don't be afraid, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So partly it's about delight, but partly it's about a right sense of God filling our mind. So that when we're tempted to sin, well, we don't because we're aware of God's presence with us. There are things we do when no one's looking that would be better that we didn't. Um, And if we knew that God was there with us and we had that right sense, it would keep us from sin. Uh, In Deuteronomy 5... Deuteronomy literally means, it's technically Deuteronomy, it's the second giving of the law. So again, they just rehearsed the Ten Commandments. And these words are in God's mouth after the commandments have been given again. And God says, "'Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me "'and keep all my commands always, "'so it might go well with them and their children forever.'" So this is for our good. God has made us to know him, to love him, to fear him, to serve him. And when we do that, it's good for us. He's made us to, he he knows how we work best. It's kind of following the maker's instructions. And a fear of the Lord is good for us. And if you think you'll be the lesser for fearing the Lord, you've not understood it. It's something that we get this right relationship with God. It's good for us and for the next generations. You get lots of it in the Psalms, so uh, here's a a few from the Psalms. for you. Psalm 34, I'm going to read a few verses together that pick up on this. Psalm 34, this is verses 4 to 9. I sought the Lord and he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. So that's the don't be afraid bit. Those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. That's kind of delighting in the Lord. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. That's kind of one of the St. Paul's verses. Before the balcony was put in uh, in the 1980s, on the wall below the St. Paul's window there was painted this verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. When I'm praying for what's going on here, I often pray that God would... Come and surround this place and fill this place and keep all evil from it and everyone here. And as we fear the Lord, there's this protection around us from the Lord. And the psalmist goes on to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. You begin to see how often this crops up and you can just gloss over it easily. Uh, Some of you will have grown up on the old hymns uh, do you know that hymn, Through All the Changing Scenes of Life? it's got. We don't sing that very often, but it's got this great line in it. Fear him, ye saints, and ye will then have nothing else to fear. That if we get, it, get God in his right place and we fear him, then we don't need to be afraid of anything else. Psalm 103 has got loads of this as well. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. I'm going to read you verses 8 to 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's a psalm full of the greatness of God's love that he's longing to pour out on everybody, but we only get into a place of really receiving it fully and enjoying it when we're in right relationship with God. That's as we fear him, as we repent of going life our own way or repent of focusing on what other people think of us more than what God thinks, and we fear him, then we get the delight and the sense of the Lord's love. Um, and I've found I've got enough hints of this that I want more. And uh, There's a long way to go for me to really nail this. Very, very few people have really got this now. We know we're on a journey. But as you go on in the Christian life, you know you get hints of this and you want more of it. And I found at New Wine uh, this year, it was, really, it was good and healthy and good for me and just a, a sense of getting God's centre stage again. Uh, One more from the psalm, Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord delights in those who fear him. So we saw earlier that uh, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. That was from a human perspective. But isn't that lovely that the Lord delights in those who fear him? As we seek to get God in the right place in our life, he delights in us. What you're doing tonight here by worshipping him, by wanting to bring your lives into line with him, delights the Lord. I love that. Proverbs 9, verse 10. This verse crops up a lot in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want, How do we navigate this changing world that's changing at a faster rate than the world has ever changed before us? No other generation has had to cope with as much change as we're coping with. The, we need wisdom. And the way to that, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of it. If we get God in the right place, it leads us to wisdom. I don't often quote Ecclesiastes, but the last verses of Ecclesiastes. We've had 12 chapters of try this, try that, and it's all sort of a, a waste of time unless you get God in the right place. Um, that's a very loose paraphrase. But at the end, he says this these are the last verses of Ecclesiastes. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. So here is the writer, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, saying this is the normal life, to be God-fearing, recognising that actually we will give account to God. We'll pick this up when we come back to our passage in Luke, which we will do in a bit. In the early church, we find when, after the day of Pentecost, all sorts of stuff started happening. There was great joy, but there was also quite a that sense of fear of God turning up and doing stuff. You get it especially after the Ananias and Sapphira incident. Uh, let's just put that one up, Acts 5, 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. If you've ever been in a place where God is turning up and doing things in people's lives and it's very obvious around you, part of me is really drawn to that and part of me is slightly afraid of that. <laughs> And you have that. I remember the first times I came into more charismatic things, and God was breaking out and doing these people's lives. I thought, this is wonderful. And I thought, this is scary. And do I want to be here? Yes, I do. But no, I don't. It's this sense of God is real. We're not just talking about him, he's here. And there's a healthy fear. Uh, I love this next verse, Acts 9 31. And this is kind of my prayer for St. Paul's in this season. This is just after St. Paul was converted. They'd had a season of persecution. And you get this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I love that. It's so Luke in Acts is saying kind of the fear of the Lord is the normal Christian life. Uh, when, you, when you're allowed to get on with things normally, just live in the fear of the Lord, be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be great if that was the sort of someone looking back at the 2020s, writing the history of St. Paul's. They say they lived in the fear of the Lord. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. They grew in numbers. uh, One more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. There are many more. You could get your concordance out or Google and you'll find loads more. But Paul says this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what's due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. So there's this reckoning that this life is not all there. That's fine. I will stop there. Um, This life is not all there is. This life is preparation for the next life. And we all give account to God, and everybody will. Now, when you're a Christian, you are forgiven. The water of baptism is a picture of being united with Jesus and washed clean. So we don't need to fear for our salvation. We know that's given. But even so, giving account of our life to God is something that sort of brings a healthy reverence. I'll stand before the Lord. He'll want to know how, I, how well I love Juliet as the most important charge he's given to me as my wife after loving him. He'll ask me how I did with those children he gave me. Long before he asked me whatever I did at St Paul's. These are... Uh, there's an account of our life, uh, and I'm sure he'll want to know what I did with my time as Vicar of St. Paul's. And when I, I do a sort of reflection on the day at the end of each day, um, I think the way I reflect is barely worth the name examine, but that's the technical name for it, looking back over the day. And so often I think, oh, that, for two hours this afternoon, I neither worked nor rested. I just sort of wasted that time. It's, well, it wouldn't be a tragedy to look back on your life before the Lord and think, oh, we wasted so much. And St. Paul says, we fear the Lord. We know we'll give account. So let's do what really matters. Let's try and persuade others. I'm sure as well when we give account to the Lord, as well as thinking, oh, how much I wasted or got wrong, the Lord will also show us so much he did through us that we're unaware of positively. When you said that to that person, when you gave that person a cup of tea who was struggling, Uh, when you found a tissue for that person and prayed for them, whatever it was, let me tell you what I did in them that you have no idea about. I'm sure there'll be lovely things that God tells us about. But we give account to the Lord. Uh, So let me try and sum all this up. How do you sum up this sense of fear of the Lord, of reverence, of awe, of worship, of honour, of delight, of love, of serving? I think the best picture I know is from CS Lewis in Narnia, that the attitude to Aslan, who is scary. He's a lion. And yet there's a warmth and a delight. And in very few simple words, CS Lewis manages to conjure up this sense of the fear of the Lord and the delight in the Lord. Uh, I love the description when the children go into Narnia and they're met by the beavers and they're talking about what's going on and how it's always Winter and never Christmas because the white witch has got it. But then they say, and Aslan's on the move. And there's a stirring in them and a sense of hope. And then the beaver tells the children that Aslan wants to meet them. And they think that'll be, they're a little bit nervous. And then the beaver says that Aslan's a lion. And Lucy says, Oh, is he safe? <laughs> Mr. Beaver says, Of course he's not safe, but he's good. <laughs> And it's that sense of God, he is not safe. He's not a tame God, but he's good. And I love that song we sang about the goodness of God. And that sense of reading reading Narnia, read The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe again to give a sense of, it it takes an hour and a half if you're a reasonably quick reader, a couple of hours if you're a slightly slower reader. But it's not long. It's a short book, and it has this wonderful picture of it. I had a friend who grew up by the sea, and her sense of the fear of the Lord was a sense of reverence for the sea. She delighted in the sea. She loved the sea. It was wonderful. Uh, But she also knew people who came out to the sea and got caught by the tide and didn't respect it and how dangerous that was. And obviously you go out on the sea where waves are big. It's it's scary. There's a sort of fear for the sea, but can be a a joy and a delight in it as well. Or... um, Electricity would be another one. You don't mess with electricity. You treat it reverently. But it's a wonderful thing. Um, Billy Graham used to capture all this beautifully. When he first preached at Sandringham before the Queen, a reporter asked him, Mr. Graham, aren't you a bit nervous preaching before the Queen of England? And he said, no. I preach in front of the King of Kings every week. And he'd got that absolutely straight. So what what difference did that make? That's brilliant. So there's enough of a picture. Let's come back to our passage, and I won't be very long with Luke. So we've looked at the first few. This, don't be afraid of others, do fear the Lord. Now let's just cycle back to the first couple of verses, verses 2 and 3. This is the fear of the Lord, because there is a reckoning coming. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight." what you've whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I think if Jesus was talking today, he'd say, what you text secretly may well be known. Now, if we fear the Lord right, then what we do secretly we will, will still be right. But if we forget the fear of the Lord, all sorts of sin can come in. Uh, I'm not saying this in any way to judge because I don't know the, the full story. But I vividly remember just about three weeks ago, we'd collected Rachel and James from the airport coming back from Albania for their summer holiday. We'd left them with my son in Guildford. Julia and I were driving back up the motorway. And we had the news on. And we had the really shocking news that the BBC person who'd sent these inappropriate texts was Hugh Edwards. And Julia and I both felt punched in the gut. I don't know if you remember hearing that. We thought. There had been trailer, who is this? We didn't know who else. Now, we don't know the full extent of what happened. But it's this, what had happened. These were texts and private things that had come into the public dimension. And uh, I'm not saying this out of judgment. We need to pray, obviously, for restoration. There's a man who uh, certainly has some Christian faith. But it seems that there wasn't the fear of the Lord because it would have kept him from this. Whereas when we recognise that what we do will become known. It protects us from these things. Going on to the last verses of the passage, uh, it talks about not needing to be afraid of others, the other side. So Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, if you have the fear of the Lord, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. Have God publicly acknowledging you, I can't think of anything more wonderful if we fear him. But if we disown him before others, we're disowned before the angels of God. If we don't fear God, uh, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Just, let, uh, just an aside on that verse. It's in the context of avoiding the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Uh, and the Pharisees, some of them saw what Jesus was doing. It was blatantly the work of God and they were describing it to the devil. Uh, I always say, if you're worried you've committed the unforgivable sin, then you haven't. (laughs) Because if you had committed it, you wouldn't be worried about it. (laughs) It's it's a sure sign, if you're worried about it, that you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Uh, The unforgivable sin is so turning your back on what God is doing that there's kind of no way back. Um, So don't worry about that. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities... Uh, or frankly, before family members or employers who think you're a bit soft in the head for believing in Jesus, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. So this passage we've got today, that I've never preached on before, going through Luke's done me good having to do this, at the heart of it is, "Fear God, and then you don't need to be afraid of anything else. Uh, fear Him, ye saints." and you will then have nothing else to fear. So where does the fear of the Lord come from? Let me cycle right back to Isaiah 11, and perhaps the band would come back, So we're, we're humming in for landing. This is the, one of the first references, Isaiah 11, 1 to 3, if we could pop that one back up, there it is. Um, and can we go back a verse to it? That's probably verse 3. Have we got the one? There we go. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. And then the next one. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. I want more of that. I want to delight in the fear of the Lord. My hunch is that if you follow Jesus and you've bowed the knee to Jesus, Lord, and he's put his spirit in it, you want more of that too. And it's from the spirit that we get this fear of the Lord, but a right fear of the Lord, delighting in the fear of the Lord. So that's what we're going to pray for now. Uh, I'll lead in a prayer, we'll be still, and in a moment we'll sing, Spirit Fall. And then we carry on from that time into communion, and we receive the bread and the wine, we come with empty hands. Uh, This is all ministry, the quiet prayer, the singing prayer, the bread and the wine. Uh, The whole idea is to get us pointing the right direction, Eyes full on Jesus, and then when Andy sends us out at the end of the service, we sent out living in the fear of the Lord. So please stand, and I'll lead in prayer.